morning, good afternoon, or good evening, listeners, and welcome to the latest installment of MBM's M&A Snack and Chat podcast. I'm Brian Shaw, corporate partner in MBM's London office, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, Caroline Urban. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Brian. Hello, everyone. So just a quick introduction for those new to the podcast. Here we catch up with past and present clients or advisors in the M&A space. We keep it light, fresh, informative, and of course, entertaining. Usually we wrap up in 20 minutes or so, but as the name suggests, snacking is the first order of proceedings. So Caroline, what are you munching on today? Oh, you know, it's been a pretty pressing week. We've got so much on. So this morning it's a bit boring and it's just a very, very strong cup of coffee. What about you, Brian? I've been been a bit uh, poorly lately, so I'm trying to keep healthy. My daughter, she loves watching the Australian band, The Wiggles, if you've heard of them. And they they love their fruit salad. So uh, fruit salad, yummy, yummy. That's what I'm eating. Enough about snacks and on with the show. We're delighted today to welcome Michael Holmes to the show. Mike began his professional life at a big four accounting firm, working his way through the ranks to become a director in its M&A strategy team. Mike then changed tack and worked at Regis before taking on his current role as Chief Commercial Officer at Scalespace, the exciting new joint venture between Blenheim Chalcott and Imperial College, whereby they are building a community of ambitious, scale-up, innovative businesses with access to people, services, and the space they need to accelerate growth. Scalespace is based in White City and have recently opened in Nottingham and with plans to open more sites across the country. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Mike, before we begin, as you've just heard, it's tradition to be snacking on something. So what have you got in your hands today? I'm snacking on some hobnobs today. Very traditional. So let's kick off, as we always do, with a bit of context and background for listeners. Tell us the Mike Home story. Well, I started my career in consulting, as you said. Uh, that, that's where you tended to go if you, if you didn't know what you wanted to do with your career when I was graduating from university. Uh, and I soon figured out that I, that I quite enjoyed it. So I joined the commercial due diligence practice at PwC, which is now called the Deal Strategy Team. Before I knew it, I was six or seven years in. PwC sponsored me to go to business school. So I went to the Kellogg School of Management in Chicago for, for two years had a fantastic time before returning to BWC for another year and a half before moving on. Uh, I then moved to IWG, also known as Regis, as a commercial director responsible for global growth initiatives across a number of product service lines. And after a couple of years there, the opportunity at Scalespace came out of the blue, really, and it was an opportunity I just couldn't turn down. That's interesting. And what a great way to sort of climb up the ladder with lots of uh, varied experience. And you're now at this very exciting um, working space where we like to come as well. But um, as it's an M&A podcast, can you tell us what sort of M&A experience you had at PwC? What did you come across and what did you find exciting? The team I was in at PwC was really involved in commercial due diligence, both on, on the buy side and sell side. So our clients were typically mid-market private equity funds or their portfolio businesses. And the main work I was involved in was around diligencing or validating management's business plans. This would almost always include an assessment of the external conditions, such as growth prospects for the market and uh, the competitive environment. And, And so the kind of scope of work did vary quite significantly from project to project, but that was typically the exam question is, what do we think about this business? And what do we think about its its growth prospect? So often, you know, given the other services that 
exist within uh, within PwC. This would often be projects alongside our financial and operational due diligence teams. Uh, sometimes we would do standalone buy-side support projects with very limited access to management or company data. So sometimes a very kind of outside-in assessment with very limited uh, internal information and in other situations and typically on, on the sell side, you would have all of the information you could possibly want or need. So very different types of projects, which, which I really found exciting and, and interesting, which is why I stuck around for so long. And I guess the other point that is relatively unique for M&A consulting, as opposed to more traditional management consulting, is quite a quick project turnaround time. So the average project across my tenure was probably between three and six weeks. Uh, from time to time, you'd get involved in a, what used to be called a two-week special, which would typically mean that you're working kind of pretty late into the evenings. Mm. Yeah, in order to get anything done in two weeks, that's, that's quite challenging. But they, those projects are still out there, I think. Were you um, focusing on a particular sector? Like what were the sort of hot businesses at the time? So I was based uh, predominantly in the retail consumer goods, travel and leisure sector team. Um, however, the way that our team worked is you typically operate across a variety of industry sectors and work for a range of different partners across the organization, partly dependent on the mix of work across different cycles. So there'd be periods of time where I would exclusively work on, on kind of retail and consumer projects. But then when that industry went quiet for, for a period of time, I'd end up working on cybersecurity or dentistry or vending machine manufacturing, a, a, a range of quite random industries. Again, I, I found that kind of interesting to, to get to, to know new businesses, new sectors, new markets that you would never really think mm -hmm. about. You know, one of the projects I was on involved as part of our market research that the whole team was encouraged to uh, go out for as many meals as possible to eat burgers and then we could expense <laughs> it as long as we took notes and took pictures of menus and so on and so forth so you get some some quite fun projects along the way as well i was going to say that does sound you really do need to sink your teeth into these things uh, literally haha -ha. <laughs> um, any 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 memorable deals you know you talk about the two weekers obviously we've all been been there but anything you know we do like a, a good war story on this podcast one of the first projects I ever worked on was was right in the middle of the financial crisis. So I, I joined PwC in October 2007. And part of our scope for this project was forecasting the growth of the carpet and floor coverings market across Europe. Uh, and over the course of two weeks, we ended up downgrading our forecast from kind of minus 5% to minus 20% because almost every day, uh, there were new forecasts coming out. There was new news coming out. You know, the, the environment was so turbulent. The world was going crazy. And over the course of a project, you just you were kind of reforecasting and reforecasting, and it was always go it was only going in one direction. And I think in the end, what we ended up presenting ended up being within a couple of percentage points of the actual answer. But it was really being being kind of thrown into the deep end of of how forecasting actually works. And to go through that that kind of uh, forecasting cycle in that environment was something pretty unique, I think. Must be similar today. You know, imagine being in the retail sector, <laughs> you yeah. know, having a project in March 2020 and, and here forecasting, you know, over the next 12 months. Yeah. No one uh, could have predicted what happened. Exactly. And I, I, I suspect that any advisor who was operational through the financial crisis was probably much better armed to deal with what's just happened in terms of how to update their advice or how to word the advice or how to forecast in a more flexible 
pragmatic way given what's going on uh, yeah anyone who, he didn't have that experience of going through the final the last financial crisis I think probably learned something new this time around definitely that kind of leads us to the next part of your career which is that at the end of 2017 I think you decided to leave the world of consulting and move into uh, a commercial role so tell us what prompted that move and ultimately the move to Scalespace I don't think that many people go into consulting with a view to it being forever. Most people don't don't stay in consulting forever. M&A consulting in particular can be very intense. And yeah, in the end, you're giving advice, but you're not really making the actual decisions uh, yourself. So uh, but I, I do really have to say that the reason I stayed in the team at Peter you see for so long was because the culture was, was absolutely fantastic. And, and actually, some of my, my best friends to this day, are the ones that I started with at PwC, so a little plug there for my for my colleagues at PwC. My my decision on on IWG and Regis that was really a combination of the role opportunity, you know, with proper PNL ownership, and also the role had a combination of of strategy and execution. And I saw the business as as really a a market leader with with strong positive network effects uh, in a large and a growing industry sector. You know, it's a, it's a business with huge potential. I mean, it's not without its issues, as, as many people listening to this podcast will know. But I think even, even to this day, there's, there's a huge opportunity there if it plays its cards right. Uh, to kind of move on to a little bit to, to scale space. So scale space is, is part of the Blenheim Chalcott portfolio. Um, and Blenheim Chalcott have got a really impressive record of, of scaling successful businesses, clear score, modular salary finance, some of their larger businesses uh, within the group. So the opportunity to join um, Scalespace and what was essentially you know, a new concept, a fairly new business, as chief commercial officer, it felt like an opportunity I, I couldn't turn down. And, it, and as I said, it kind of came out the blue slightly. It was, I, I met their internal recruiter. The next day I was having a meeting with, with one of the co-founders of Blenheim Chalcott for, for two hours. I was really just sold on the, uh, on the opportunity and made that decision quite, quite quickly. Yeah, six weeks after I joined, the pandemic hit. So it's been a, a very interesting journey, but we've got some pretty strong momentum back into the business. So it's um, a pretty good place to be. For those, uh, again, who aren't familiar with Scalespace, you know, please you know, tell us a bit more about it. Obviously, how's it been going? You, you mentioned the pandemic. Uh, it was a bit of a bump in the road, to say the least. And, and what are its plans going forward? Scalespace is a scale-up community focused on supporting scale-ups. We provide access to people, services, and, and space that businesses need to be successful. Our flagship site, our largest building, is in, in White City, where I am today. Uh, and this is a joint venture with Imperial College London. Uh, we also have a site in Nottingham, and we also have a strategic partnership with the University of Nottingham. And you know, one of Scalespace's points of differentiation is that we have really strong university connections. And the other one to just mention is we're also supporting the University of Edinburgh with their new AI accelerator program. And we've got a pipeline of other relationships and opportunities to and, and plans to grow Scalespace into a into a national brand. In terms of the pandemic, I mean, look, that was tough for everyone. It was it was very tough in in this sector. We actually opened scale space white city just over a year ago in, in the middle of the pandemic and there were weeks leading up to that where the whole world stopped construction stopped we didn't know if we were going to complete the project no one knew what was going on so you know we weren't the only ones going through a, a very stressful period of time it was difficult we had to make some tough decisions like many businesses we utilized the furlough scheme it was, it was very stressful uh, you know personally i was still within my first few months 
of being in the business and that's a, a difficult environment to operate in however we we survived it we got through all of that we opened in the middle of the pandemic and we've now got growing occupancy a growing community a healthy sales pipeline an engaged group of people in the building so we're, we're pretty pleased with where we're at today and then in terms of what's coming next we're opening more space in white city in q2 next year uh, about another 40,000 square feet targeted at the life sciences sector. We're building a digital community and we're also looking at potential future locations for additional scale spaces around, around the country in conjunction with developers and other universities. It's really impressive. You know, it is really a great space. Full disclosure, MBM, we are a, a legal partner of ScaleSpace and, you know, we, we go there at least once a week. Caroline and I and, and, and other MBM colleagues have been there it's huge. You're in a, a podcast studio, you've got a, a soccer, you know, you've got a sorry, football pitch, uh, <laughs> cafes, recording studios, ice cream, ice cream, you know, pizza nights and beer nights. You know, it's, it's kind of an entrepreneur's dream to be there, I would say. Everything you want is there at your fingertips. So I'm not just saying that. You know, I've been to other co-working spaces, but this one, it is special. And I really enjoy going there. If the others are like this, it's all good. A lot of thought went into the design and planning of the building and the site, which I can't take any credit for personally. But, you know, I'm really kind of happy with, with the space that we've got. And as you say, I think that particularly for smaller businesses, having a vibrant community, having a physical space that is pleasant to come into and also things that are going on around the building, you know, sports activities, um, sport being shown on, on the big screen outside, community building events. Those are all things that just make it, it's another reason to kind of go into work, go into the office and uh, meet with your colleagues. I just want to add to that because I've been to one scale space event, actually one of the early ones where there was, it was the first sort of in-person event, but it was also online at the same time. I have to say, I, I was so impressed with the the support that you're giving to the businesses in terms of potential investors they can talk to, whether it's fundraising support or even marketing support, basically just people they can tap into for knowledge to help them to grow their business. And that's hugely valuable. And that must have been a huge challenge to build virtually on, you know, in a snap of a finger when you were basing so much of the community on the physical space, which is great. How do you envisage the the future of work is going to be, is there going to be, you know, particularly in co-working spaces, do you think a lot of people have kind of moved to be much more online and digital, or do you think there's going to be a big move to coming back to the office? Everyone's got a, a very personal opinion on this. Um, I don't think there's anyone that you speak to that doesn't, doesn't have, a, have a view. Obviously, it depends on what happens with the pandemic and, and how quickly, but I think regardless, I, I don't think it will ever go quite back to the way it, it was before. I do think that the, the office still has a huge role to play for the vast majority of businesses. I don't think that you can fully replicate the experience of in-person interaction in a virtual setting. As many companies have now found out, it's very difficult to build real meaningful relationships with your colleagues through a screen. And I think that anecdotally, and I'm sure there is proper research, but for, for me, it's anecdotal that there's lots of companies that I speak to that have struggled with onboarding colleagues who joined during the pandemic and have never actually met in person. And there are quite low retention rates for that cohort of people who joined during the pandemic and never had the opportunity to, to meet and build those relationships. And I think the reason that in the first several months of the pandemic, there was a lot of positive noise around, well, this could be the new normal is because people were already 
used to working with their colleagues they already knew each other and actually falling into that working pattern is easier in that environment than actually if you're trying to onboard and recruit new people and I think the other thing as well is that we've now got lots of people burning out on screen time and um, and being fully virtual so I think there's a number of factors that mean that there's still definitely a role to play for people coming together physically as human beings that's what we are naturally inclined to do it's what we're used to it's where we feel more natural so everyone's different everyone's in a different life stage some people have families some people don't some people are earlier on in their careers and there are more learning opportunities from observing things in person so it really comes down to an individual choice and also a company level choice around what kind of culture you want you're trying to you're trying to build so look I'm sure that there are going to be some businesses that remain fully remote and that will be attractive to a subset of the population. But I, I do think that most companies have already moved to a bit of a hybrid, somewhere between two and four days recommended per week in the office. I don't think that there will be many businesses who mandate five days a week in the office every week. But I think that there will definitely be an office presence several days a week for the majority of businesses going forward. I think I couldn't agree more, especially with the juniors. And, you know, we try to onboard trainees and yeah, I, I just... Have, have sympathy and empathy for them trying to not only learn the new systems but also being trained up as a lawyer in you know, virtually it's 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 difficult I can remember you know, going back to when I was uh, going through my induction at, at PwC where we were all I was in a room with my cohort for two weeks straight sitting next to each other learning off each other and, and then in your first project the way you learn mostly is you you're, you're sat next to your, your manager and you can observe even just the way they answer phone calls and speak to clients you can't do that if you're you're going through those early stage projects virtually or your manager's not going to dial you into a, a call when they get called up by a client so there are, there are lots of kind of very soft things that you miss out on I think mm-hmm. it depends on the industry depends on the situation it's not impossible but it's it's very difficult I, I think it's more difficult than people think and that, I think just one other nugget that I've been thinking about a little bit is there was, a, there was a narrative across a number of businesses going into the pandemic and even up to six to 12 months into remote working where people who were surprised that they were able to sell without meeting the clients and, you know, we've been able to, to, to close deals without meeting in person and, you know, therefore... The, the office doesn't really have the role we thought it needed to have now I, th- I think that's, that's actually a little bit short-sighted because in that situation you're you're competing against other people who also can't meet their clients so it's not like going forward when other people can make the effort to meet in person build that relationship have a beer etc that's that's what you're going to be competing against I think it'd be a little bit naive to think that just because you're able to sell successfully remotely without making the effort to meet people during the pandemic you're going to be able to do that um, in a hybrid world yeah, I couldn't agree more. If I'm an entrepreneur, why would I choose to base my company at Scalespace? There's three key reasons, really. Um, I think, firstly, you know, co-location with other successful scaling businesses and successful entrepreneurs, which you'll be able to learn from. That type of network, I think, is is invaluable for, a, for an entrepreneur. Uh, I think, secondly, Scalespace is university connected, which means that we can give really unparalleled access to talent across different levels of experience. We know that hiring is a huge pain point for any scaling business, and we just have more opportunities to, to put that in front of you if you're, if you're at Scalespace. And thirdly, business building know-how. We 
we are backed by Blenheim Chalcott. They have 20 years of experience of scaling businesses. So, you know, we have institutional knowledge on what it takes to scale a business. You know, and really our, our mission and reason for existing as a business is to help companies like yours to be successful. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show and to hear more about the great things that you're doing at Scalespace and in the larger scaling community. Before we end the podcast, we have just enough time to do our rapid fire round. Mike, in one word or phrase only. On your mark, get set. Where did you go to school? Eaton. Favorite food? Crispy aromatic duck. If you were having a dinner party and could invite three guests, alive, dead, or fictional, who would you invite and why? Barack Obama, Warren Buffett, and Elon Musk. God, what a party. All Americans. Just saying, Apple or Android? (laughs) Apple. Strangest place you visited? Hmm. Um, Costa Rica. Hmm. Favorite movie? Uh, Memento. And finally, if you were down to your last £10, where would you invest it? Uh, I think you have to go big or go home at that point. So I think I'd go for a crypto index. <laughs> okay. A few people have, That's a good one. Well, a few people have said crypto. That's true. That's true. Um, Mike, you, thank you so much for your time and participating in MBM's M&A Snack and Chat podcast. So that's it for today. Thank you for joining us in our chat with Michael Holmes, CCO of Scalespace. Please join us next time when Caroline and I will be joined by another special guest and we will chat and snack all things M&A. Goodbye, all. Goodbye.